Will you find the fabled lamp of Aladdin and live to tell the story? You and your aunt are in Istanbul, Turkey, searching for the legendary lamp of Aladdin. While looking for clues, you stumble upon a secret stairwell that leads to a small passageway. There you notice a lamp on a hook high above you on the wall. It might be Aladdin's lamp, but something tells you it might not be, and perhaps you should leave it alone. What will you do? If you try to get the lamp, turn to page 99. If you make your way out of the passageway and find your aunt, turn to page 46. But be careful. You might locate the legendary lamp of Aladdin and have an all-powerful genie at your side. Or you could find yourself in the mystical land of Aladdin, trapped for all eternity. What happens next in the story? It all depends on the choices you make. How does the story end? Only you can find out. And the best part is that you can keep reading and rereading until you've had not one, but many incredibly daring experiences. You're the star, 12 exciting endings. Choose your own adventure book 117, The Search for Aladdin's Lamp by Jay Liebold, illustrated by Judith Mitchell. to Incredibly Daring, a podcast where we read vintage choose-your-own-adventure books to each other and make generally poor choices. I'm Connie. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. So, full disclosure, we already recorded this part of the podcast, or we thought we were recording it. We actually weren't. But all you really missed was kind of a half-assed conversation about whether or not Aladdin was was released before or after this book. It was after. And it was after by about a year. And that the genie on the cover looks like... I think that the genie on the cover kind of looks like Pablo from Ash vs. Evil Dead. And Jason doesn't quite agree. Yeah. And Connie hasn't seen the show. Cheech. I said it looks a little like Freddie Mercury. Now now I'm going with Cheech. Okay, so it's Cheech, Freddie Mercury, and Pablo from Ash vs. Evil Dead. Jammed together. Warning! Do not read this book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures that you may have in your search for the legendary Lamp of Aladdin. From time to time, as you read along, you'll be asked to make a choice. Your choice may lead to success or disaster. The adventures you have are the results of your choices. You are responsible because you choose. After you make a decision, follow the instructions to find out what happens to you next. Think carefully before you act. Your vacation in Istanbul, Turkey can be fun, but it may also be dangerous. Even if you do find Aladdin's lamp and its magical genie, you may not necessarily be pleased with what you have wished for. Good luck. Ooh, monkey's paw situation. Yep. Fingers crossed. You walk up behind your Aunt Millie. She's still studying the same painting that she's been standing in front of for the past half an hour now. To you, it looks pretty much the same as the hundreds of other paintings your aunt has taken you to see since your arrival in Istanbul a week ago. The ancient painting shows some men with halos over their heads walking up a mountainside. Their feet, however, don't really seem to be touching the ground and looks more like they're floating up the mountain or as if they've been pasted on the top of the landscape. The colors of the painting are dim except for the halos, which are shiny gold leaf. You suppose the artist had to use that to make up for the way the facial features and the bodies of the figures are weirdly elongated and out of proportion. You are a snobby art critic. Mm -hmm. You start to say something about how it's time to leave, but Millie is in such rapture that you hold your tongue. You shiver in your shirt sleeves. You've looked at all the other paintings in the Byzantine church by now, and you're ready to go. Outside, the temperature must be above 90. 
but inside the church, cold drafts creep through the corridors and seep out of the heavy stone walls. It feels as though the musty air hasn't changed for centuries. This was not what you had in mind when you accepted your aunt's invitation to take a trip to Turkey. Don't know what you did have in mind. I'm going outside, you finally mumble to your aunt. She nods vaguely in your direction. She's a good chaperone. Whatever, kid. This is what I had in mind when you came along, either. <laughs> She's been hypnotized. You wonder whether or not she has even heard you. Wandering down a side aisle, you try to remember how you got to this part of the church. You know you came up at least one flight of stairs, or was it two? Rays of sun come in through stained glass windows, lighting up the dust in the air. One thing you can say for the Byzantines, they sure built enormous churches. Huge, silent, and drafty. Since you've arrived in Istanbul a week ago, you've seen more churches than you care to count. You knew that your Aunt Millie was going to write an article about Byzantine painting, but you didn't expect to spend so much time preparing for it, especially after she told you the real reason for coming to Turkey, to search for the fabled Lamp of Aladdin. <laughs> Millie is your favorite relative. For... And a treasure hunter, apparently. Yeah. And fucking nuts. For one, for one thing, she doesn't worry about the nonsense that most grown-ups do, like what other people think of her or whether her shoes match her earrings, things like that. She doesn't wear makeup, and her clothes look as if she's just stepped off a bush plane from Alaska or a barge on the Nile, as if she's just coming back from some adventure. She smells like she hasn't showered in weeks, and her hair is a mess. This is another whimsical aunt. Yes, mm-hmm. always. Getting as bad as time travel. (laughs) Which is the other thing you love about Millie? She's a travel writer, and she is always just coming back from some kind of adventure. You always make her tell you every detail of her latest trip, especially when she's been to exotic places like Turkey. You vow to yourself that when you grow up, you're going to be just like her and not like your boring parents. Fuck those two. <laughs> you remember sitting in your room strumming your guitar one afternoon when Millie called to announce that she's gotten another assignment. She was going to Istanbul again this summer. Your heart started pumping faster. Not Constantinople. <laughs> nope. And when she asked, as you hoped she would, if you wanted to come along, you couldn't get the words out fast enough. And- Hell no. <laughs> and Millie, I can't wait. Millicent, your mother said sternly on the other line, I think we'd better discuss this first. Our mom's monitoring our calls with our aunt. Yeah. Yeah. For good reason, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Mother, you protested. Mother! It's one thing for your aunt to go running off to these foreign places, your mother replied, but I don't want you going and getting blown up by some bomb. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. That. Mom's a little conservative. (laughs) (laughs) That night, Millie came over for dinner and managed to convince your parents that you'd be safe with her. Turkey is a stable country, she assured your mother, and safer in Istanbul than on the streets of most American cities. But you weren't worried about danger. Aunt Millie never lets fear of the own nuns stop her, and neither will you. When your parents finally agreed to let you go, you immediately went out and got an after-school job. For the two months that you're in the United States before you leave? Millie had a free, frequent flyer airline ticket for you, so all you needed was to earn enough to pay for your expenses while you were in Turkey. Not a free ride for you, kid. Learning to be self-sufficient. It was during the flight to Istanbul that Millie confided to you that doing an article on Byzantine painting wasn't the only purpose of the trip. Time to hijack a plane. (laughs) (laughs) 
In fact, she said, it's not even the main purpose. Seeing your eyes light up, she went on. Do you remember the story of Aladdin's lamp? Sure, he replied. Aladdin found a magic lamp, and when he rubbed it, a genie came out. The genie granted Aladdin three wishes. Millie smiled. Close enough. <laughs> I'll tell you the whole story later. Anyway, she said, lowering her voice. When I was in Istanbul last year, I met a merchant in the Grand Bazaar. He asked me if I was interested in Aladdin's lamp. I asked him what he meant. He said he could obtain the original lamp of Aladdin for me. He also wanted to sell me the Brooklyn Bridge, <laughs> and I agreed. <laughs> he raised your eyebrows. Was it possible that the fabled lamp was real? Imagine a genie who could make every wish come true. Well, we haven't seen the movies yet because they're not out yet, so we know that's bad. Didn't Aladdin need a ring that had a genie in it in order to wish himself to find Aladdin's lamp? Maybe in the original story. I think that's how it was. He had a ring that had like a lesser genie in it <laughs> that he used to find the lamp that had the actual genie in it. I don't remember that at all. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I misremembered it. I haven't read it in forever, though. Yeah. yeah. Of course, I dismissed the offer as a hoax or some sort of a trick, Millie added. But the strange thing is, another man tracked me down at home in the States. He said he represented a group of Sufi mystics, and that if I knew anything about Aladdin's lamp, he'd like to hear about it. What's a Sufi, you interrupted. Sufis are an ancient sect of Muslim mystics. They live mostly in Turkey and Iran. Have you heard of whirling dervishes? You nodded, and Millie went on. Well, they're Sufis. Anyway, that made me think that there might be more to the man's story than I thought. Oh boy, you exclaimed. So we're going straight to the Grand Bazaar as soon as we land? No, Millie responded. We have to be patient. First, we'll give whoever is involved in this a chance to come to us. In the meantime, I'll research my article on Byzantine painting. Then, if nothing has happened, we'll go to the bazaar. That was a week ago. Now, wandering through the dank quarters of the church, you ask yourself when all the adventures are going to begin. You passed an arched entryway leading to a narrow flight of stone stairs. Thinking they must lead to ground level, you go back and take them downward. Churches are not that complicated. Good lord. Into the catacombs. Yeah. This church was designed by M.C. Escher. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Millie's life isn't as exciting as she makes it sound, you think, as you descend the stairs. You think. Still, there is the prospect of finding the lamp of Aladdin. Already you've wasted the first week of your trip looking at paintings. Only three weeks are left. Over the past few days, Millie has been filling you in on the story of the lamp. First, you read the complete tale of Aladdin translated from the original Arabian version of A Thousand and One Nights. It was longer and more interesting than you expected. Millie described the long history of storytelling in the Middle East, including Arabic poetry, Turkish epic songs, and the mystical writings of Persia, the old name for Iran. Millie explained that there have been rumors about the existence of an actual lamp for centuries. It may not contain a genie like the one in the story, Still, there must be something very special about the lamp, she said. Otherwise, the Sufis wouldn't be so interested in it. The lamp has fired your imagination. You can't help but fantasize about finding it for yourself. You're not sure what you'd do with it, but summoning the magical genie would be at the top of the list. The stairs just seem to keep going down. There haven't been any landings, just the gray stone wall of the spiraling staircase, lit by an occasional dust-covered bulb. We're traveling back in time. It occurs to you that you must have passed ground level a long time ago. Finally, you come to an ancient, thick wooden door with iron braces. The door is open. You start to go through it, but then you halt. The passage beyond is very dim. 
Hardly anything in front of you is visible, and the air is even colder than before. You're turned to go back up the stairs. Wait a minute, you say to yourself. Is this what Millie would do? Pass up a chance to explore a secret passage? You turn around and venture through the doorway into the dark passage. You have to stoop to get through the low archway. A small flickering candle set into the wall provides the only light. The candle has burned down to the last quarter inch of its life. You keep going into almost total darkness before you come upon another candle. Then suddenly you freeze. A noise is coming from behind you. You listen. There it is again, footsteps on the stairs. Your mind races as you turn back toward the door. Should you let yourself be discovered by whoever is approaching? No. Or should you close the door and hope that will keep you safe? You listen more closely. The footsteps have a clip-clop cadence, making you wonder if they are human. Is it a horse coming down the stairs? <laughs> yeah, it's a horse. It's a camel. <laughs> if you push the door shut in front of you, turn to page 58. If you decide to see who is coming down the stairs, turn to page 108. Do you want to close the door and lock us in here? Because that's what's happening. Yeah. All right. So we're not confronting the horse. Nope. Okay. Terrified of horses. <laughs> it takes all your strength to close the heavy wooden door on its hinges. It shuts with a resounding crash. Good job. Then no one no, will Nobody know. will hear that. <laughs> then you hurry down the passageway. The candles in the wall flicker wildly. Each one is burning the last of its wax as you pass, plunging the corridor behind you into darkness. You pause to catch your breath. A scratching sound comes from the end of the hall, as if a hoof is pawing at the other side of the door. The passage bends and suddenly you find yourself in a small chamber. Set into each wall is a candle. An unusual aromatic scent wafts through the air, a hint of cinnamon, cardamom, and cloves. Ew, smells like Christmas. Once your eyes adjust to the light, you see that all kinds of curious objects are piled in the corners of the chamber. You also notice that above each candle is a painting. The paintings are unlike any you've seen so far in Istanbul. The first painting shows an ethereal white horse emerging from a lake. A boy on the bank holds a bridle for the horse. The second painting shows winged serpents, wolves dripping blood from their fangs, cats with elephant trunks, and all kinds of hideous demons tearing the same boy to pieces. Okay. The third shows him bent down with his head on a wooden block, an executioner about to bring his sword down. Is that boy us? <laughs> yes. These are all the uh, possible endings. <laughs> <laughs> a tingle of fear and excitement creeps up your spine as you examine the paintings. Your tingle turns to panic, though, when the candle begins to flicker and you realize they too are about to go out. You run out of the chamber back towards the door, figuring you'd rather deal with some hoofed creature than be trapped here in the dark. Even after looking at those pictures. <laughs> you feel your way along the cold stone walls until you arrive at the reassuring solid door. Something is still pawing at the door. Let me in, a hoarse voice bleats. <laughs> okay. You grasp for a handle, but you find none. Then you remember the pack of matches Aunt Millie made you include in the travel pouch hanging under your shirt. <sighs> Good job, Aunt Millie. You fish out the pouch and, with trembling fingers, light one of the matches. You search up and down the door, only to find that it has no handle. Oh, dear God. Surprise. The pawing on the other side has stopped. You drop the match and pound the door with your fists, but it's so heavy it just absorbs the blows. Dejected, you slump to the floor. Darkness envelops you. You wish your Aunt Millie were here with you. Then you remember her spirit of adventure. You get to your feet and, deciding to conserve your matches, feel your way back to the chamber in the dark. One candle remains lit in the chamber. 
It stands beneath the fourth painting, which you now inspect. The painting shows a gigantic muscular man looming over a boy who cowers before him. Cool. <laughs> the man wears a turban. His arms are as thick as tree trunks and his brow bulges in anger. He is coming out of a small lamp on the floor. A surge of hope wells up in your chest as you recall the story of Aladdin. But then the last candle flickers out and you're left standing in the dark all alone. You light one of your matches, holding on to it as long as you can. You begin examining the strange objects stacked in each corner of the chamber. They look ancient, yet they are free of cobwebs and dust. One corner is filled with musical instruments of all kinds. There are violins, lutes, drums, flutes, mouth harps, and right in front, a zither unlike any you've ever seen before. I don't even know what if I know what a zither looks like. Mm, it's not like a long, oh, long one. Almost, yeah, I'd say almost like a banjo, almost. Oh, except, yeah, yeah. except it's got like a gourd mm-hmm. bottom, and then it like goes way out there and kind of flares out at the end. In another corner hang bridles, saddles, reins, and other stable tack. Some are old and brittle, but others glow with jewels and garnets. The third corner contains weapons, swords, daggers, axes, cudgels, maces, and other frighteningly toothsome implements. In the last corner are stacked jeweled boxes, scarves, veils, perfume bottles, and garments of silk and satin. Wonderful scents come from this corner, reminding you of flowers and blossoms and of your Aunt Millie when she's dressed to go out for dinner. You have a crush on your aunt. So the horse tack, Mm -hmm. some of it had jewels and garnets. Mm -hmm. Aren't garnets jewels? Jewels? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Right. You take all of this in quickly, but you still use up half your pack of matches scanning the room. You're going to need a supply of light. You try to think of what you could use for fuel. The perfume wouldn't last very long. Besides, it would be a shame to burn up such fragrant stuff, especially before Aunt Millie has had a chance to try it. If only there was a lamp around here somewhere. You return to the corner with the musical instruments and strike a match. Something above them catches your eye. Hanging on a hook, almost at ceiling level, is an old copper lamp. Your match goes out. It seems to you, though, that the lamp looks a lot like the one in the painting. You remember with excitement that Aladdin had to climb a ladder to retrieve his lamp from a high wall. But you have no ladder. How can you reach the lamp? None of the weapons is long enough. All you can think of is to stack the drums on top of one another and try to climb up them. It seems dangerous, but you don't care. The story of Aladdin and his magic lamp is stuck in your head. You strike your second-to-last match and move the zither and other musical instruments out of the way so you can get at the drums. It's your lucky day, though. Hidden behind the drums is a long pole with a hook at the end. Yeah, convenient. Lighting your last match, you reach up with the pole and unhook the lamp. You bring it down, and as the match flame starts to burn your fingers, you touch it to the wick of the lamp. The wick flickers and finally catches. You sigh a deep breath of relief. The fumes from the lamp oil are sweet. You take another whiff and notice they're also a bit acrid. You're high as fuck now. (laughs) (laughs) You sit down and put your hands around the lamp, feeling the copper beginning to warm. You start to rub your hands back and forth, slowly at first and more briskly. To your disappointment, nothing happens. You try to be philosophical and tell yourself you didn't really expect anything to happen anyway. Besides, at least now you have some light. Philosophical or nihilistic? Yeah. So you're going to waste wish wishing yourself out of this room, which is <laughs> stupid. You pick up the zither, which is leaning against the wall. I wish the door had a handle. <laughs> You've never seen anything like it. It's a gorgeous object, inlaid with all kinds of wonderful designs. 
You're strangely attracted to it. You can almost hear the strings singing, calling you to sit down and play them. Or is it just the hissing of the lamp you hear? It's making a noise as if it were giving off steam, although nothing is coming out. You lean closer and realize that the hiss is, in fact, a whispering. Dozens of tiny voices seem to be coming out the spout. You bolt upright. The whispering is coming not just from the lamp, but from the cracks in the stone walls all around you. You start to set the zither aside, but the strings catch your eye again. There's a strange allure about the instrument that makes you want to play it, and yet you're still drawn by the whispering voices of the lamp. If you start to play the zither, turn to page 62. If you investigate the whispering voices from the lamp, turn to page 112. Do we want to investigate the voices? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of, it's in the title of the book and everything. Kind of here to look for the lamp, investigate the lamp, whatever. Also, I think there's a story about a cursed zither forces you to keep playing it or something. So, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think, but I don't know for sure. So, but I, yeah, let's uh, check out the voices. Yeah. Okay. Check out the voices in our head. You set the zither aside. Taking the lamp, you cautiously explore the crevices between the stones and the wall. As you edge along the wall, the whispers grow louder. They no longer seem to be coming from the lamp so much as they do from the other side of the wall. The voices lead you out of the chamber and into the passageway. Thinking you can almost make out what they are saying, you press your ear to the stone wall. Suddenly, the wall gives way, and you stagger through to the other side. You stumble to your knees, but manage to keep the lamp upright. Your spine stiffens as you get to your feet. Several pairs of eyes are now upon you. Slowly, you turn in a circle, taking in the characters gathered around you. The only place you've ever seen people like them is in the paintings you've been looking at. Somehow you know without being told that one of them is a magician wearing full regalia. One is a Victorian adventurer wearing a coat, vest, and felt hat. Another is a beautiful princess, her luminous skin and long black hair covered partially by a veil. Another is a holy man, a Sufi in a dark robe. And another is a medieval crusader knight. As you stare at them, you realize they are not really looking at you. They are looking at your lamp. They're all previous owners of the lamp. Probably. You blink once and ask, where am I? No one answers you at first. Then the magician says, why do you pretend not to know? You're here with the rest of the seekers. But where is here, you insist. What did you seek? The magician retorts. I don't know, you say with a shrug. The lamp, I guess. Well, you found it, the knight says, gesturing around you, his arms clanking. You're inside Aladdin's lamp, the princess says gently, her voice strangely subdued. Behind the princess, you notice the Victorian man giving a slight nod at her words. So some say, the magician remarks. You sink back on your knees, dumbfounded. Inside the lamp? How do I get out? You demand. The Sufi speaks up in a low, grave voice. You must dive into your lamp. You look at him blankly. He points to the walls. You notice they are curved. The room is oval and the walls are of a smooth, convex metal. Climb as far as you can up the wall and dive into your lamp, the Sufi advises. That's absurd, you say, looking to the others for support. Their faces tell you little. You wonder what is causing the atmosphere of suspicion and distrust in the room. You stumbled upon something you don't understand. Stumbled upon something I don't understand. If what you say is true, you go on, then why haven't any of you done it? None of us have had the courage, the adventurer speaks up. You look at him, but he glances away as if he has no more to say. There must be some other way out of here, you insist. The knight eyes your lamp for a few moments. Maybe yours is different, he says. For the first time, you notice that the others are holding lamps similar to yours. Maybe yours works. 
All eyes are on your lamp now. You cradle it protectively. How do I find out, you ask? The usual way, the magician says and sighs, rubbing his hands on his cold lamp. But first you must extinguish the flame. The genie will not come out if it is lit. I don't know if I want to put it out, you say, remembering the trouble it took to light it. What else can I do? The Sufi speaks up sharply. There is only one way. You must go up there and dive into your lamp. You give him a skeptical look. He folds his arms and says, It seems impossible, and indeed it is very dangerous. But surely it is the only way to escape. You look to the magician. If I put my lamp out, will I be able to light it again? He shrugs and says, It is up to you. Always up to you. Maybe listen to the guy who's from there. <laughs> you contemplate the various bits of advice you've received. The Sufi's suggestions to dive into the, your lamp sound crazy, not to mention foolhardy. Then again, if you really are trapped inside Aladdin's lamp, your situation is already pretty crazy. The strange thing is, you can't tell what any of their motives are. Why is everyone so secretive and unhelpful? You would think they'd try to work together to free themselves from the lamp. But maybe that's the problem. They're afraid that if they help one another, someone else will get the magic lamp of Aladdin. In any case, you must decide what to do. You're not sure who to trust, but one thing you know is that if your lamp did have a genie inside, it would solve everyone's problems. Maybe you should try rubbing your lamp again. Maybe it will work this time. You wet your fingers and prepare to cut the flame of your lamp. No, the Sufi cries out. Never extinguish your light. This was our mistake. You look from the princess to the magician to the knight for guidance. Their faces look expectant, but it's hard to read them clearly. You think they want you to go ahead with your plan, but you can't tell whether it's for your good or for theirs. The Sufi just shakes his head sadly. You wet your fingers again and hold them poised over the flame as you try to decide what to do. <laughs> Taunting them. <laughs> if you go ahead and extinguish the flame, turn to 64. If you decide not to put it out, turn to 30. If you decide to dive into your lamp instead, turn to 56. Well, I think it makes sense that the genie can't come out if it's lit. Yeah. The painting, though, of the genie towering over us, all pissed off. Like, do we actually want the genie to come out, though? Yes. Oh, wait, yeah. So we're, we're, we're extinguishing our extinguishing plan. that shit? Okay. Do we want... Yes, yes, we do. We're done, <laughs> we're done taunting these bitches. We're doing it. You can't resist finding out whether or not your lamp is magic. You squeeze the wick between your fingers. The flame goes out with a hiss. Immediately, you're plunged into darkness. You rub the lamp furiously. Come on, come on, you implore the genie. But nothing happens. There is only silence in the chamber. You can no longer see your companions. You try again. This time you massage the lamp gently, exploring its entire surface. <laughs> wow. Come on out, you coo. It's all right. No one will hurt you. Still nothing. You squeeze the lamp hard between your palms and say, I know you're in there. I command you to come out. Frustrated, you set the lamp down. What do I do now, you ask your companions. There is no answer. Well, will someone at least turn on a light? When there is still no answer, you stand up and feel in front of you. You try to make contact with the people who were there just moments before. However, all you find is empty space. Over the course of several minutes, you become aware that a very dim gray light suffuses the chamber. As your eyes adjust, you begin to make out the shapes of your companions slumped against the walls. A gasp of terror escapes your lips. They are nothing but skeletons. Cobwebs hang heavy on their ribs, and a few shreds of clothing still dangle from their limbs. A chill creeps into your bones as you now realize there is no way out. Oh. The end. It's a happy ending. Skeletons. <laughs> Skeletons. 
Alright, so we can not extinguish the thing, or we can dive into the lamp. Or we go back further and let the horse whatever in, or... Right. I don't know if I want to go back that far. Yeah, yeah. I'd say... I'd say... I don't know, do we want to try diving? That sounds stupid. Of course it sounds stupid, but... I mean... Yeah, let's... Yes, we do. Okay. Okay. Your companions clear a space for you to set your lamp down. As you begin to climb the curved copper wall of the chamber, you feel a little foolish. Somebody else steals your lamp, runs away. (laughs) To the other side of the room. (laughs) (laughs) But now that you've started, you don't want to turn back. Even though the walls are convex, you're somehow able to get almost halfway to the top, as if you were a fly walking on the ceiling. Crouching on your haunches, you turn around and prepare to dive. But when you look down, you nearly die of fright. Suddenly, you're 30 feet above the floor. Your lamp is a tiny vessel with what looks like a furnace burning inside it. The flame-lit faces of your companions looking up at you resemble tiny coins. Only the friction of your souls keeps you from an involuntary plunge. You can't see any other way down, though, so you stretch your arms in front of you in a diving position. Take a deep breath and jump. A short scream escapes your lips. The faces of the onlookers rush to meet you incredibly fast. You close your eyes and wait for the impact. To your amazement, the impact never comes. Somehow you have entered your lamp. You open your eyes again to find yourself floating through a fantastic landscape. You're still falling, but more slowly, as if the air is thicker. Whizzing and floating by you are burning meteors, flaming swords, and sickle moons. You keep falling in a curious slow motion. You're able to focus more clearly now on the objects around you. Bouncing and galloping past you are flapping tents, long camel caravans, processions of servants and soldiers, glittering mosques, and every once in a while a plummeting sultan. Your fall slows down even more as the atmosphere becomes thick like a heavy liquid, but you don't feel it on your skin. Instead, you now seem to be coming into a more airy realm where you see soaring eagles with many colored wings plumed peacocks, and big piles of clouds that turn into green sapphire mountains and then back again into clouds. With wide eyes, you keep watching as a huge bull with thousands of legs and horns passes by. So we're in a really, really magical realm of some kind. Yeah. Like, I I feel like they've nailed that so far. A gigantic whale breaches and dives, causing everything around you to quake and tremble. Then you see swooping angels, a ruby chair, and finally a blinding light that causes you to throw your arms up in front of your eyes. Ever so gently, your feet touch the ground and you collapse in a heap. I wonder why the guy didn't try jumping into his lamp. Because he's scared. Oh, that's true. They did say that. And you're high as fuck, too. (laughs) (laughs) You wake up with a taste of sand in your mouth. Groping for solid earth, you place your palms flat against burning hot desert sand. You look back over your shoulders, afraid the white light is still there. You realize it's only the sun. You get to your feet. There is nothing but rolling sand dunes all around you, smooth as silk, untouched by anything but the sculpting wind. Our ants going to be pissed. (laughs) The dunes stretch as far as your eyes can see, their light brown color contrasting against a pure blue sky. You start to walk, feeling somehow that you know which way to go. Your head is heavy, but your feet are still light. You walk up and down the dunes, the white sun burning above. You travel long and far until one day you see a looming black cloud on the horizon. You know you can't run away from it, so you wait. Soon it sweeps in on you. It is not just a black cloud, but a series of demon sandstorms, each more powerful than the last. The wind wails, pelting your body with driven sand. 
You cover your head and mouth and keep walking, thinking you hear crazy laughter. As each storm approaches, you see in it a leering face. After the last storm has passed, you find yourself crossing an endless grassy plain. You travel a long way on the plain, wondering about the huge dark blotches on the horizon. When you come closer, you see that they are herds of cattle. One day, a long roll of thunder comes from off in the distance. As a gigantic cloud of dust moves towards you, the thunder grows louder. All of a sudden, a stampeding herd is upon you. This is quite the trip. When I crack jokes, I don't have any fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I, like I thought we were back in Constantinople. No, you're not. You keep your head protected, letting the stampede carry you along. Finally, the herd veers off, dropping you at the foot of a range of dry, rugged mountains. Following a footpath into the range, you cross paths after a snow-covered pass. As you come down a broad river valley, you go by ruined castle battlements built on top of lonely mountain buttes. You walk along a trickling snowmelt stream that comes down from the mountains. It cuts a canyon out of the plateau around you. You keep following it as it drops deeper and deeper into the canyon cut, so deep that you now see the sun for less than an hour every day. Sindel spires and rose-colored cliffs tower above you. One day, a rumble comes from the canyon above. Lightning strikes and it begins to rain. The rain comes down for three days, soaking you to the bone. You keep walking, but you are overtaken by a deafening roar as a torrential flood sweeps you down the canyon. You struggle to keep your head above the foaming white water, but your strength finally gives out and you abandon yourself to the deluge. It takes a while to open your eyelids, which seem glued shut. You find that the flood has deposited you next to a violet pool in a green grotto. A trickling waterfall feeds the pool, which is completely overhung with lavish trees, hedges, and creepers. That sounds nice. You should just stay there. So it's like a really cool existential acid trip. A very that, lengthy one. That turned into a dark side sort of trip. Mm-hmm. Are we supposed to be like following the path of some sort of a hero? And like, yeah, is this I from think we're a... just on drugs? <laughs> sure, but is this from like a thousand and one Arabian Nights? I, I don't, don't think remember. so. I don't remember any of that. Uh-uh. I don't know what the hell's happening. So Jay Lebel is on drugs. Yeah. Yes. He just forgot to stop writing while he was taking acid. <laughs> yes. Above you, on a promontory near the waterfall, is a small stone temple overgrown with vines and moss. You find some steps half covered by leaves and dirt leaning up to the top. As you climb, you see that the landscape around the grotto is far from calm. The sky is tinged orange with flames. A roar like a huge burning furnace reaches your ears. You feel no heat. As a matter of fact, it occurs to you that the temperature of the air is perfect, matched exactly to your body. You feel it with your skin, marveling at how much pleasure you can get from a simple thing like the relative warmth of the air. It's more than just air, though, you realize. It's a sweet, honey-scented medium that you are able to move through with ease. Taking a deep breath, you find that it smells delicious, the most delicate fragrance you can imagine. You taste it, feeling it not only in your lungs, but in every cell of your body. Reaching the top of the stairs, you stand before the temple. The life-size niche, carved in the shape of a shell, is empty. Somehow you realize that this is your temple, a place that only you know how to find. You spend a while there, drinking in the air and listening to the waterfall. When you have enjoyed it sufficiently, you walk around to the back. You open a door there, which you discover leads back into the Byzantine church where you left your Aunt Millie. It's as if no time has passed. You may not have found the lamp of Aladdin, but you have found your own lamp in a sense. You don't have it exactly, but somehow you know you are still inside it, ready for whatever else life may bring you. The fuck? The end. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, <laughs> passing on that book. <laughs> Fuck you, Jay Lebo. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. And I would have read this as a youngster, too. All of that for... Mm. You are the lamp. That was the end of that. <laughs> Fuck you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was very indulgent. Yeah, so much. I don't know what else to say about it. It just and, kept and going. It, and it led nowhere. Yeah, it led nowhere. Like, if it was going to lead somewhere, no. He just wanted to write imagery. <laughs> and that's fine. Imagery's fine, fine thing to write about. If it's going to... Go somewhere? Fucking go somewhere. <laughs> it's being written for kids. They don't give a shit. <sighs> I probably would have stopped and been like, I'm going to get a different choice. Yeah. Um. Well... Uh, I guess it was nice checking out Jay Leeple's writing exercise. <laughs> <laughs> We're all passing on it, though. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, if you want to read more Choose Your Own Adventure, go to CYOA.com. If you want to learn more about us, go to IncrediblyDaring.com. I'm Connie. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. The end. The end.